Welcome to this week's Silk Grassroots Podcast, Match Fix, brought to you by the Down to Play app. Grassroots football is finally back and we're buzzing. Get Down to Play today, the UK's leading app for next game availability. Download Down to Play from the App Store and Google Play. Welcome to Match Fix, a brand new Selk production podcast bringing you everything you want to know about the women's grassroots game. Episode 9 of Match Fix is here and it's yet another brilliant guest. You could say she's a bit of a triple threat as she combines playing, coaching and a media role. If, like me, you were one of the few lucky Tier 7 players to not have their season curtailed, you will have midweek and double-headed your way to the end of the season, so congratulations for making it there. Some kind of personal news, we had two weeks of nervously waiting and watching the table, and it really did go down to the final whistle, and we were able to secure a rather valiant second place in what was an incredibly competitive league for us. It's felt a little bit like three seasons in one, I guess. So just a massive shout out to my team for their support both on and off the pitch and for mostly indulging me in all of the random and sometimes stupid ideas I fired at them for the sake of some good social media content. Grassroots football really is the best. In some futsal news... The summer series has been incredibly successful and I actually just wanted to give a little shout out to the commentators because the co- the calibre of commentary has been so incredibly refreshing to listen to and just the quality of the teams as well has just been really top-notch. I bang on about it consistently but futsal really is so brilliant as a sport and I would encourage anybody to get involved uh, good luck to Bolton and to London Helvetia as they play each other in the final this weekend on Sunday and live on BT Sport, no less. Also, a congratulations for Sunderland and Watford as both teams see themselves promoted from Tier 3 National League to the Championship. But an even bigger congratulations is in order for my Episode 3 guest, Carol Bates. She's been awarded none other than a British Empire medal in the Queen's Birthday Honours List 2021. A phenomenal achievement for a phenomenal woman. She constantly inspires me and so many other women in football and is proof that there is no age to when you can begin playing football. For now, though, I think the most important thing we need to do is look to the future and the new season. Let us hope that it's an uninterrupted one with a chance for the women's game to really continue on this incredible trajectory of development and growth. Whether that means you're running a wildcat session, you're trying football for the first time or you're returning for another season or maybe you're continuing your coaching journey. Enough from me and keep listening for part two. Keep it simple. Get down to play today. The UK's leading app for next game availability. Download Down to Play from the App Store and Google Play. Welcome to part two of episode nine of Match Fix, and joining me today is Hannah Duncan, defender at Whiteleaf. Welcome, Hannah. Hello, thanks for having me on. Not at all, not at all. Uh, how are you? How's things? How's life? 
Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Starting to get a bit busy again now things are opening up and we're allowed to do stuff. So, yeah, starting to get back to the 100 miles an hour life that I was living pre-COVID. So <laughs> it was nice having the break in between, but... Yeah, absolutely. Getting there, thank you. Yeah, no worries at all. So, as I mentioned, I am going to ask you about lockdown. No, it's a little bit of the theme of the the podcast as we are still kind of currently, well, hopefully at the tail end of the pandemic. But yeah, how kind of did lockdown treat you? Obviously, we were all without football and stuff like that. So yeah, how how did you get on? Yeah, I mean, difficult without football. Um, I think that took up, I mean, prior to COVID, maybe four to five days of my week at, at least with training playing coaching and I've got a season ticket at Chelsea as well so that was you know another day of the week gone or mm-hmm. every other week um so yeah to have all that time back all of a sudden was a bit of a culture shock but in some ways also kind of nice but um no definitely glad to be getting back to things again and, and getting back to football and having the girls back coaching and, and things like that so that'd be nice just looking forward to getting back to uh to Stamford Bridge next season as well nice absolutely did you take up anything kind of interesting or bizarre whilst you were in lockdown without any football some people started learning a language people were like reading all this sort of, I mean that's not bizarre is it but yeah did, was there anything new that you kind of introduced to your life to kind of do you know what I'd love to say that I've learned all these new skills and all these brilliant new things that I can now do but absolutely not no I, I did try and pick up Spanish again I did Spanish many years ago uh, for GCSE um so I did the the whole download Duolingo app other apps are available uh, <laughs> that that everyone seemed to be doing and got up to a, about a hundred day streak at one point but that has tailed off completely and I've basically forgotten that app even exists on my phone now so that was very short-lived um but otherwise, no, well, other than um, starting a new magazine. So I'm sure we'll come on to that at some point. But um, that was more luck than judgment. That wasn't that wasn't pre-planned by any means. So um, no, no new skills or anything like that. I looked into about 100 different things and what can I buy off Amazon? What can I download? And none of it ever happened. So short answer is no, not really. <laughs> Do you know what? That's so OK as well. I feel like a lot of people felt like a little bit pressured to be like, right, I've got to make the most of this time. I've got to learn this, this and this. But actually, I feel like we're in the middle of a pandemic. It's actually OK not to do anything and just be like, OK, I'm just going to I'm just going to get through this is what I'm going to do. Like, it's totally OK to have done that as well, rather than being like, yep, I'm going to do these millions of things and like better myself as a human and all that. Yeah, I have plenty to keep me going anyway. So I, I always liked reading and um, yeah. watching various box sets and and whatever else so I I wasn't bored at any stage (laughs) nice cool lovely um right okay let's get into it then so tell me your kind of your footballing story like where did football start for you when did you start playing all that all that jazz well it's 100% I'd say my dad's fault (laughs) Uh, so as I said I've, I've got a season ticket at Chelsea which I've had since I was five um so yeah, I was kind of thrown in, thrown into it from a very young age, um, and never really looked back. So I kind of started playing at like you know the local um, leisure centre, like going to like the after school clubs and things like that, and the holiday camps and stuff like that. That for for me locally were run by like Wimbledon and Crystal Palace and, and teams like that. Um, and then I think I started playing in a little league team when I was about nine. That was an all girls team. There was only like four teams in this girls little league um it's not exactly the most competitive and then um yeah just kind of been playing ever since then really so it's been my entire life and it I assume it kind of always will be so um yeah playing coaching watching basically everything except refereeing that's the one area I've not got into and (laughs) and quite frankly don't intend to so um yeah no otherwise it's uh 
yeah, it's pretty much been been everything I've been interested in forever. So nice, cool. That's interesting. That from so have you always just played in a girls' team? You've never kind of played with boys as well. Sorry, you cut out a little bit. Of, um, <laughs> That's okay. You say you have girls. No, as I was saying, have you always played in girls' teams or have you ever played with boys? Yeah, yeah that's interesting. Yeah. Always girls' teams, never played mixed football, um, ever really. To be honest, I think probably missed out a little bit. I think it can probably really help your development, especially as a younger player. Um, but yeah, never never really had the opportunity. So um, I started, as I say, in a girls' little league team um, and then kind of just played in girls' teams forever. Um, I think when I was younger, it, you could only play mixed up until like 12. Yeah. And they've, ever since then, they've kind of increased the age um, up to whatever it is now, 18 or something. But um, yeah, so I never really had much of an opportunity to, to be honest. Oh, that's fair enough. It's kind of kind of bucks the trend a little bit as well, I guess, because uh, kind of, I think most of the players I've played with have kind of played with boys. And I think often you kind of hear even sort of when you look to professionals and most of them are kind of started playing with boys. So it's, yeah, it's kind of interesting that you, you kind of had that path. But yeah, yeah. in the playground at school, but nothing any more formal than that yeah absolutely um so you what what teams did you play for sorry uh yeah so I say a little league team so Wimbledon little league um had a, an all-girls league so that was where I started um I had a season with the Chelsea, Chelsea in the centre of excellence when I was under 12s um then I joined a team called Beach on Bells uh, under 14s um and then from then I actually went straight into adult football because again back then you could um, you didn't have to be 16. So at 14, nearly 15, I had my first season at senior football, which was a, a bit of a wake-up call, um, <laughs> massive learning curve. But to be honest, it did, I think it did me the world of good. I think half of my Beach on Bells team kind of split and half of us went to Red Hill, <clears throat> uh, Red Hill Ladies, and the other half went to an under-15s team, I think. And I think for the half of us that went on to senior football, it really sort of helped us at that time because you just you had to grow up quickly and you had to get on with it. Um, so that was great. So I spent, I think I had a year or two years at Red Hill and then the whole team moved across to Hawley Town. Um, had a few years there. Again, the whole team moved again to Dorking. Um, in the interim, <coughs> I went to uni and I had a year at um, AFC Bournemouth. Um, also played for Bournemouth Uni. Um, yeah, then when I came back from uni, I joined Crawley Wasps. I had seven, six or seven years at Crawley Wasps and now I've been at Whiteleaf, this will be my going into my fourth season with Whiteleaf, but I've not yet completed a whole season. <laughs> it was two years of COVID, and um, the year before that, I only joined at Christmas. So hopefully, this will be my first full proper season, start to finish, um, <laughs> at Whiteleaf. So, so yeah, that's pretty much it. Nice, it's a good old journey there. You've been here, there, and everywhere. But I guess yeah, mostly the same team just moving. But, uh, <laughs> Same, a lot of the same same people and same faces but yeah yeah absolutely that's nice though I guess as well the fact that you kind of had that sort of growth kind of I guess did you say you had started at kind of under 14s with that team and then moved up so I guess it's quite nice that you got to grow together as a team really just even if it was under a different name yeah no really good and I'm still in touch with a lot of the girls now um and still play with well I have played with a couple of them up until sort of two years ago three years ago something like that so um so yeah no it's been been really nice to kind of it's one of those football things isn't it you kind of make those friends for life through football so yeah absolutely did you have a favorite club at all um I have to say whiteley because I know <laughs> this is where I am now but um no I think every every club I've been at has been great for one reason or another so you know obviously Red Hill Hawley um that was kind of where I grew up really and you know stepped into senior football and started in the reserves and then joined like 
got picked for the first team and things like that. So kind of yeah, learned a lot there. Um, time at Bournemouth was pretty short lived, to be honest. That was only a few months um, in my first year at uni. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, Crawley Wasps, we, we were great. We, we won the league, um, had successful years at, at Wasps. So that was good. Again, um, sort of first first team captain for, I think, three seasons. Um, and just seeing the club grow there was great. And then, yeah, loving my time at Whiteleaf so far. So it's a really good, really good group there, really good atmosphere, great coaches. So, yeah, all good. Nice, cool. You mentioned as well, you kind of got thrown in at the deep end in terms of like going into the first team when you were sort of only 15. How do you think that kind of helped develop you as a player? I think it gave me a massive confidence boost, to be honest. I still remember to this day, bearing in mind now how long ago it was, um, I still remember it the first time I got called up to the first team. So I think I was, yeah, must have been 15, playing for the reserves. Um, they had an FA Cup game, I think. Um, and we'd had training a couple of nights before and yeah then just got pulled aside by the manager and said you know you're on the bench for us on Sunday which as a 15 year old was was great um bit of a bit of a shock um to the system I think I got maybe five or ten minutes at the end of the game something like that and to see the step up and the sort of physicality and the technical ability of players and just even you know the sneaky tricks of the trade and all that kind of thing that as a 14 year 15 year old you're you're pretty oblivious to um and it was a great learning curve and then yeah, was just able to kind of push on from there really and became a sort of fixture of the first team over the next few years. So um, to be able to do that from such a young age, I think really helped me in my development. And I think, you know, looking at it now, I mean, I coach under 14s now and I think when I was their age, I was about to step into senior football and you think for them or for some of them at least, it would be great for them to have that opportunity. I know women's football has moved on a lot in that time and perhaps, you know, the comparative levels now are very different um so perhaps you know they'd find it a bit harder than than I did because the standard is is better now um but yeah I think it's a shame that they don't have that opportunity but you know at 16 it would still be good for them to step up and to have that experience as soon as possible I think yeah absolutely Mm, super super interesting that is I think yeah so um you mentioned as well that you were captain when you were at Crawley like how was that what was that like did you enjoy being captain uh in bits and pieces yeah no, <laughs> I think obviously it's always a privilege to be to be selected as captain and to have that trust from the the coaches and from your teammates and things like that and I think I've kind of always not necessarily gone out to be a captain or gone out to be a leader in any way but I just think from my experience in football, you know, as, as I said, from being involved in such a young age and watching football from a young age and things like that, I think probably I read the game quite well and, and kind of have those attributes, you know, might not have the best technical attributes, but have kind of those, the reading of the game and things like that. So I'm kind of able to see things and, and kind of share that information with other players and that kind of thing. And um, yeah, so I guess it was, you know, it was great to do it for a few years. It's a bit of pressure sometimes but and you always get picked out by the opposition and put that armband on they kind of you know target you a bit or expect certain things of you or whatever mm. um but you know it was, it was great to do it and um yeah I guess it's it's nice to now be able to take that step back at the same time and just kind of let someone else <laughs> let someone else do it but it doesn't stop me being any uh, as loud as I normally am anyway so <laughs> nice cool um you also mentioned when you were at uni you played kind of AFC for AFC Bournemouth for a little bit and then you played for Bournemouth uni as well did you play like did, did you play those simultaneously like alongside each other or yeah there was a lot of football going on at uni <laughs> to be honest it was my first year I think 
I ended up training two or three times a week, playing two matches. And then I think I played for the uni futsal team as well in, in my first year. So it was pretty much six or seven days a week. And it, to be honest, it was too much. I ended up, you know, hating football by the end of that season. I think the standard of the uni team wasn't great. We just about survived relegation um, and the standard just wasn't wasn't very good. Um, AFC Bournemouth, I was on the bench a lot. So I wasn't always getting, you know, good game time for them. Um, so I kind of didn't really have a happy medium. Mm. Um and I think it was just, yeah, it took up a lot of my time. It was a big commitment around trying, you know, a uni lifestyle as well. So I think it kind of killed my love of the game for a little bit. And then as it happens, the start of the following season, I got injured and ended up being out for sort of six or eight months. Um, and that was probably the best thing that could have happened because it forced me to just take that break and take that step back. So um, that probably allowed me to carry on sort of being involved and playing for as long as I have been because at the time I was you know, pretty much ready to walk away. So I think that injury actually saved things a little bit. Yeah, a little bit of a slide indoors moment there then, I guess. Yeah, nice. pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> um, you mentioned futsal as well. I'm a big hyper of futsal on this podcast. I like talking about I talked a lot about it with um Lou Barry from Northampton Women as well in episode six. And have you what did you watch any of the kind of futsal series recently? The the final was happening this weekend. I can't say I did, to be honest. Oh, get involved, it's so good. <laughs> Honestly, it's great. It's great. Yeah, it's been... I, I have seen some before, and it's like the the pace is is unbelievable, and the the skills and stuff. It's um yeah, that's definitely not how we played it when I was at uni. It was very much the football team getting roped in, and we basically played it like indoor five side football. Um, we did not play it how you should play futsal in any in any way, shape, or form at all. Yeah, I think. Do you know what? I think a lot of people when you say futsal to them, they're like, what? What, what do you mean and yeah as you say a lot of people kind of think it's like father's side don't they but yeah no it's its whole kind of own sport in itself so I mean yeah. I think a lot of people do kind of pick it up in uni as well where it does happen to be like oh it's the football team and actually just, just an extra bit of football to kind of play so yes um did you enjoy playing futsal whatever kind of medium you played it in did you enjoy playing futsal <laughs> probably not to be only, only because as I say we didn't really play it properly when we played against the team who had a sort of dedicated futsal team um, rather than the football team um, we got absolutely battered and completely shown up so um, yeah there was probably and you know the, the rules around if you give away a certain number of fouls it's a penalty and all these kind of things I think I ended up in goal as well quite a lot just because no one else wanted to do it and I had various things like that so probably didn't have the best experience of it but um yeah definitely appreciate its um its value to to developing skills and and you know just that confidence on the ball that you can take into foot, football as well yeah absolutely well I'm a big advocate for it so you know if there's a local <laughs> futsal club nearby get involved get involved <laughs> cool so um did uni kind of, well, you said you had that kind of six to eight month break and you said it was kind of like a real benefit to you, if anything, like we said, a kind of slide indoors moment. So, yeah, do you, well, you kind of already said already, didn't you, that you felt like actually it was really important that you kind of had that break because you got a chance to kind of step back to it or yeah, from it rather. I, yeah, I think it, it did make a big difference. As I say, I was just, I was doing too much at the time. Um, you know, I was always of the mindset that you can never do too much. Like, football's great. How can you ever do too much football? But no, I definitely was. And as I say, there was no real happy medium um, between the things I was doing. It was like, you know, just kind of negative experiences all around um, in you know in different ways. Mm. Um, so, it's, yeah, to be able to take that sort of step back for a year and realise kind of how much I missed it and be frustrated at being injured and stuff was actually, you know, in some ways a positive. So 
um, definitely came back the better for it and then also managed to sort of take a step back, you know, almost when I returned and didn't do as much. So I was still playing for the uni team. Um, at the time I was playing for Dorking, so that was my club back home that had moved again. <laughs> um, but obviously I wasn't playing for them every single week. It was only, you know, when I, as and when I could. So, yeah, I definitely wasn't doing as much um, when I got back to it. So I think that, yeah, it did... Um, was a bit of a wake-up call, that injury, which was which was good, really, in the long run. Nice, cool. Right, let's talk Whiteleaf then. So I, for some reason, I was under the impression that Whiteleaf had been kind of kicking about for a while, but they're a fairly new team. They're only kind of formed in 2016, weren't they? I guess because the men's team is quite well established. I just sort of assumed that of the women's team, but actually 2016 was the year they kind of joined the Leaf family, as it says on the, on the, on the website. <laughs> um so you've been playing for them for four years so was that the year after you joined them when they kind of formed yeah I joined in when did I join it was 2018 I think 28 no 2019 it must have been I can't I, you lose track now I have <laughs> yeah. COVID completely lose track um yeah so I had half a season and then two COVID years since then um but yeah like sort of three three years ago something like that yeah nice. uh, yeah, so they'd already been in existence for maybe two or three years when I joined. Um, they'd won like back-to-back league titles, mm-hmm. um, done really, really well, um, and got into the London and South East Regional Prem, which is what we're still in now. Um, so, yeah, they, they'd had a lot of success before I joined, and since then, we haven't done anything. <laughs> so <laughs> make that what you will. Um, <laughs> but no, I've, I've really enjoyed being there, and it's... Um, sort of gave me a fresh start that at the time I, I really needed and um, all the girls were really welcoming and, and the coaches, like, you know, were really positive about having having me on board and, and things like that. And we've had a, a couple of sort of overhauls since then with, you know, player movements and things like that. I suppose every club kind of goes through um, at the end of most seasons, really. Um, but, yeah, we're in a good place now. So going into the new season, we've got a reserves for the first time and an under-18s for the first time as well. So... Um, hopefully that's going to really help us build over the next couple of years. Nice, yeah. What was it about Whiteleaf that kind of made you pick them? What kind of made you choose choose them? Um, their success going sort of when I joined them, obviously, as I said, they'd have back-to-back promotions, so they were clearly sort of a club on the up and that had ambitions and that were, were keen to progress. Um, so that that was good. Um, also quite local for me. Um, not quite as local as Crawley, but certainly not not far away at all, which again is is always helpful. Um, good facilities at the club. Yeah, they play on and train and play on a three G sort of stadium pitch, um, which is quite nice. Training twice a week, which probably most teams in the league now do, but certainly a couple of years ago wasn't the case for a lot of teams at that level. Most only train sort of once a week, um, so that was quite attractive as well. Um, yeah, and as I say, just kind of went down for a just to see when and instant loved it you know as I say the coaching was great and the sessions that were put on were great and the girls were really welcoming and stuff so um yeah I think it took me about three weeks before I played my first game after after going training so um yeah it didn't didn't take long to make the decision but I'm really glad as I say really glad that I joined them and um yeah I've enjoyed it ever since really nice love that um so you guys are in the Sorry, Women's and Girls League, aren't you? And you mentioned 
that um, you just kind of, well, I guess this is kind of reverse of what I'd say. So this is kind of like, what what does the future look like for Whitelift? But you've just mentioned it there, the kind of, you've got a reserves team now and there's an under 18s team. So maybe let's talk a little bit about that. Like how important do you feel like that is for the club, for them to, to have kind of developed that kind of reserve team and also kind of have that under 18 sort of pathway there that you mentioned? Yeah, I think it's massive. I mean, I was at Wasps um, at the start, we didn't have a reserve team. Um, and that was a big thing that the manager at the time was was trying to bring in, and uh, we kind of almost sacrificed the first team for one season in order to get the reserves up and running and and really build that. Um, so a lot of the focus that year was into getting the reserves going, and you know in the long run that really paid off. I think that made a big difference to the, you know the pathways, and then loads of youth teams followed and all that kind of thing. And and now there's loads of new teams, and you can go from under under 10s or mini kickers um, even younger than that all the way up to the first team now so they've got that pathway so for Whiteleaf to kind of start building that I think is going to be really important going forward and you know you look at a lot of the teams at at this level or even the level below and the ones that are successful tend to have a reserve team I think it's just so important for you know to make it a squad game to be able to give people game time you know people maybe that aren't being picked week in week out or aren't you know don't have the fitness or perhaps coming back from injury or whatever to be able to give them sort of regular football with the reserves to build up their confidence or build up their fitness is is really important otherwise you just end up losing them to other clubs and then you're you know you're down to kind of a bare bare 11 that get picked every week um so yeah to be able to kind of give people those opportunities and then you know again bring maybe less experienced players into the club to the reserves and then you know, you've got the opportunity to bring them into the first team as and when they're ready. I think that's, again, that's really important and you can offer that that range of football for people. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with that. There's a couple of clubs kind of near me that have that kind of similar. So Ascot United, they've got a kind of, uh, a first team who play at the same level as Whiteleaf actually just in a in the uh, southern region division instead as well yes. and they've also got a, a reserves team who play like in the same division kind of level that I do and similarly I think there's Tilehurst as well who do exactly the same thing so they've got kind of a team in kind of the southern region and then also um, within the kind of the tier below that as well and as you say like you can just see there's that there's that opportunity for everybody to play if they want to play up as well but also yeah there's that kind of ambition for them and yeah there's just a lot kind of you can see that success there definitely so I 100% agree with you there and I'm sure I've probably missed off a load of other clubs which is actually slightly embarrassing on my part considering I spend a lot of my time writing about them but yeah (laughs) I totally understand I totally agree with what you're saying there yeah I think you know it's it's just one of those things that you can get to a certain point with with progression of of your club and if you don't have a reserve you're going to kind of hit that that ceiling every time because as I say you just you don't have that those opportunities for players to progress or to get a bit of confidence or a bit of fitness back and you you know you just don't and then have that squad availability that you know you can build when you've got a reserves and or you know an under 18s or whatever it is so yeah I think hopefully that's really going to help us going forward yeah definitely I think I've mentioned it a couple of times as well as I feel like we're maybe probably tipping the balance on this now as well especially but it always feels like there's a slight gap in kind of women's football especially at the lower levels where you kind of where there isn't an under 18s kind of pathway is that you can kind of play football sort of you can you can play football like you say as like mini kickers and what stuff like that and then get up to kind of under 15s and then if there isn't that kind of like 
next team up like the under 18s they're kind of you get that drop off there and then they're a bit like well I don't I'm I don't feel confident enough to go and play senior football but also I kind of still want to carry on playing so the fact that you've kind of they've decided to introduce that under 18s I think it's so important to kind of have at the club definitely yeah I think that kind of you know you said that under 15 age group that's it's such a natural kind of drop-off age isn't it especially for girls I think you know you get other other interests or you get peer pressure from friends who maybe have no interest in football and that oh why don't you come shopping or why don't you come to the cinema it's stereotypical but you know (laughs) you have that pressure from friends to to do other things on a a Sunday or a Saturday um so yeah it's kind of that point where it is quite a a turning point for a lot of players and I'm seeing that with you know the girls that I coach now they're they're just getting to that age and you know you're trying to keep them on board as much as you can because you can see their sort of heads being turned by other other interests and things um, so yeah, to be able to offer that pathway the whole way through, where they can stay playing with their friends and progress together, and then you know the the ones with more confidence or more ability have got that opportunity to step into senior football as and when they're ready. Um, yeah, I think it's really important to have that pathway at a club. So hopefully now, I think we've got an under, I think they'll be under thirteens at Whiteleaf as well. So we've kind of got a bit of a gap in the middle, but hopefully over the next few years we can start filling that. Nice, fingers crossed. Um, so let's talk a little bit more just about you. So you are a defender. Have you always played in defence? Has that always been your position? Um, sort of. I started in defence. Then I moved into midfield um, for a bit when I was probably 16, 17. Um, continued to think I was a midfielder until I was about 23, maybe, and then conceded that, no, I'm probably actually a defender. <laughs> um, so I've kind of moved back there and stayed there um flitting between right back and centre back over the years it was mostly always right back uh then ended up at centre back one day because our centre back uh got an injury in a game so I moved across sort of mid-match ended up staying there for the whole season um and I think the season after as well um then moved back to right back again for a few years and now I'm back at centre back again so um I think that the modern day fullback isn't necessarily a, a position that I'm naturally suited to like getting up and down you know, Rich James or Trent Alexander Arnold so up and down the up and down the line all game. So that's that might not be my forte, especially at my age. But um I do still enjoy a right back from time to time, but more of a traditional right back I think rather than a not a Lucy winning. Bronze. <laughs> yeah, more more a defensive right back than a, an attacking right back. Yeah, absolutely. I'm guessing that means that you prefer being a right back to a centre back then. <laughs> I like both. I do like both. When I play right back I'm like, oh I'm a centre back and then I play centre back and I'm like, oh I'm just right back. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I'm ne- never really happy, but I don't mind getting forward occasionally. So there's the occasional sort of bursting run forward and just shouting at somebody else to fill in my position for me for a bit. But um, <laughs> no, I'm I'm definitely more defensive minded than than attacking minded. So I guess centre back does suit me a bit better. Nice, yeah. Do you have any kind of sort of standout moments at, at Whiteleaf or in even kind of at Crawley as well or anywhere else? Do you have any kind of standout sort of career moments, shall we say? Yeah, I mean, we won, we won the London and South East Regional League when I was at uh, when I was at Wasps, so that was really good. We went the whole season unbeaten. Um, I think we drew one game and won the rest. Um, so that was a you know a really good year for the club and you know the start of, of what they've gone on to do since then. Um, we also got to sit three County Cup Sussex County Cup finals while I was there. We played Brighton twice and Lewis once. Um, the Brighton games were interesting to say the least the first year wasn't wasn't too bad the second year I think they had something like seven international players wow. in their start in 11 
Um, so that was yeah, definitely an eye opener for us. Um, but we, we, you know, we, we did all right. We um, we held our own and kind of gave a good account of ourselves. We didn't get completely battered, um, <laughs> but it wasn't too bad. Um, so yeah, so no, they were really. I mean, getting sort of four or five hundred people there watching was, you know, a, a night match under lights. It's always great atmosphere. So yeah, um, yeah did did love those. They were great. Um, yeah, and then that's kind of as I say, White Leaf has just kind of been a bit of a COVID hit time really so it's been difficult to kind of build any momentum I mean I think our last game before Covid kicked in so last or season before the one that's just finished we Mm. had um we played QPR in the semi-final of the of the league cup and um at the time I think they were the top of the league and they'd beaten us twice in the league and things like that and you know we well we basically should have won the game we took them to extra time and we were probably the better side um yeah we played really really well great game everyone was like really on it um, ends up losing an extra time and then COVID came in so the final got cancelled anyway so oh, we went through all that or we like couldn't walk for about a week after the game went to extra time and everything and it it was all for, all for nothing in the end but um no that was probably the sort of best <coughs> game we've had at Whiteley or I've had at Whiteley so far so that was um that was enjoyable but Otherwise, as I say, it's been quite COVID hit, so not really had that chance to kind of have any of those highlights or build momentum yet. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in terms of kind of the team, like we'll, we'll talk COVID here then. <clears throat> so how did you guys kind of keep the team morale going and just kind of keep in touch and kind of, yeah, just keep connected during kind of lockdowns and stuff like that as a team? Uh, and everybody else in, in the world, Zoom, came to the rescue um, for a lot of it. So we had... Um, we did quite a lot of fitness sessions over Zoom, especially to start with and sort of during the, is it the November lockdown? Yeah. Um, obviously, we only had sort of a month of lockdown then and then we knew we'd be back playing and stuff like that. So it's quite easy to keep motivated and to and to keep going and to, you know, do some like online hit sessions together as a team and all that kind of thing and a bit of um, ball work and, and stuff like that. So um, that was quite easy to do because you always had the focus of, oh, we're going to be back on, you know, whatever it was, the 3rd of December or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so always got that date in mind, but sort of since the Christmas lockdown it's I think it's been quite difficult because you've not had that end date you've not had that end goal to work towards you know no one knew what was going to happen is yeah. the season going to be or are we going to play again um is it going to be you know six weeks is it going to be like four months like nobody really knew what was going on so I think that's that's been a bit more challenging to kind of keep things going um during that time but um no generally I think it's it's you know, it's been all right. It's it's gone as it's gone, and and we're, we're where we are now. And I think we had about four four games when we came back from this latest lockdown, which was a you know the league kind of put us into a mini league with um, the division below. So I think we had maybe four games or something like that. Um, but but yeah, that's been it. And then we've just kind of ticked over with a bit of training at the moment and getting ready for pre season. Nice, yeah. I guess the perils of tiers three to six meant they just kind of binned you off sort of thing. Yeah. Well, I probably shouldn't say yeah, that. Got, got Curtailed. Out a yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, but you did mention you kind of, they, they put, a, put a cup, did they put a cup together, did you say? Yeah, well, this mini league thing, it you know, it was sort of a, I guess it was glorified friendlies at the end of the day, but <laughs> it was nice to play. And it's also nice to play against teams that we didn't, you don't always get to play against because we got merged with the league below. So yeah. nice to kind of, go to some different grounds and, and play some different teams rather than the, you know, the usual suspects. So that was, you know, I suppose that was quite good. But um, yeah, we I think, as I say, like four games and then that was kind of it. It was just like, oh, we're done now. So 
we'll just wait until pre-season starts yeah absolutely we kind of like so my team we sort of well actually we were quite lucky we we'd managed to kind of play quite a lot of our games already so we were sort of kind of hanging about a bit but um yeah we definitely had to some of the other teams in our division had to cram a few games and there was a few double headers and midweekers and stuff like that so yeah I, I don't know I guess it was it was quite intense actually and then obviously kind of now it's nothing so and pre-season's going to start soon enough anyway isn't it so yeah are you guys looking forward to pre-season do you know what in a really sick way i always look forward to pre-season <laughs> i don't know what it is but i've kind of always found some sort of sick pleasure in in pre-season training um you always kind of get that fear i think of or oh, what's coming what we're going to do like how hard is it going to be how the bleak test <laughs> yeah exactly and you kind of build it up in your head to be this like absolute horror show um and you know it's going to be 30 degrees and we're going to be yeah we're doing bleep tests or <laughs> it's never that bad um i think the good thing about not just about i'd say about whiteleaf but probably not just about whiteleaf about modern coaching more generally i think is you know the attitudes around fitness it's everything's with the ball mm-hmm. you know i think 10 <coughs> probably not even 10 years ago you're doing laps of the pitch you're doing as you say bleep tests you're doing like circuits and squats and burpees and everything else um but now it's very much like pretty much everything is with a ball like the, the vast majority will be fitness with a ball which makes a i think makes such a big difference like psychologically and you know enjoyment wise and how much you're able to put in to the session without even necessarily realizing it so i think it's kind of come a long way from as i say even just a few years ago really so i think that does make a difference but yeah even so i do i do enjoy pre-season in a in a really sick way <laughs> nice <laughs> um so in terms of like um well when does your pre-season start actually kind of how long have you got before the kind of league league kicks off yeah we, i mean we've not really stopped so we've kind of carried on with a bit of training nothing too serious or or intense but um i think partly because we've got as i say we've got this new under 18s and new reserve team it's kind of just integrating everyone together getting yeah. them involved in the club getting you know having a look at them and maybe seeing no, or any of them able to sort of maybe step up and um, get some new players down, new trialists down and things like that. So we've kind of just been doing one to two sort of informal sessions a week. But, you know, to be fair, last week uh, we had like 40 people turn up. Wow. That's with the 18s and with the reserves as well. But, yeah. you know, just to have that many players and to be able to basically do like full-on 11 asides um, is actually really good. So it's it's been quite enjoyable. Um but I suppose official pre-seasons will start um, early July and then I guess we'll have probably a couple of weeks and then the friendlies will kick in. Um, and then as far as I know, the, the league will start sort of mid-August if it's, you know, the usual time that it normally does start. So we get normally get about six weeks of pre-season in before the, the league starts. Nice. So pretty busy then. <laughs> Yeah, always busy, always busy. <laughs> nice. Um, I feel like we might have sort of already said it already, seeing as we've had this big kind of global pandemic, but what do you feel like has been kind of some big challenges, either, either personally or like at the club, kind of that you've had to sort of deal with whilst you've been there? <clears throat> um, yeah, so it's, I guess it's one of those things of keeping everyone together, like you've already touched on, you know, it's always hard when you're used to training together twice a week and, and playing together on a Sunday to suddenly then not see each other at all for months on end um, and kind of, you know, you're relying on each other to do your own fitness and kind of keep yourself ticking over, which, you know, with any club, some people are always going to be better at than others um, and have more time and, you know, be more motivated and whatever else. So um, that's always difficult, but um, so that's probably been one of the biggest challenges. And um, I guess even 
you know, we had sort of new players that joined last summer and they've probably not really had much time with the team at all because we've only had, you know, a handful of matches really um, in the grand scheme of things. So they've been at the club a year and, you know, we don't necessarily really know them that well yet. So those things are always quite difficult, but then, you know, that's going to be the same for pretty much every club going. Um, so, yeah, I suppose that's kind of been the, the main one. So it'd be really nice to kind of get everyone back together again and kind of get that social aspect as well. So, you know, as much as it's great to be together training and playing, you know, it's also nice to go out for a meal or for a drink or, you know, we've not had a, a Christmas do or, a, you know, a end of season presentation in two years, which is, is crazy, really, because they're always, you know, the, the big nights of, of the year for the social calendar. Um, so it'd be nice to be able to do some, you know, team activities again soon. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And I think that's such like a big aspect of kind of this sort of level of football. Well, I guess, yeah, like this level of football is kind of the social part of it is massive. So my football team, we had our end of season social on Saturday, actually. I think that was possibly the first time we've like all been together. Well, even then we didn't have all of us together, but most of us were all together. And yeah, like you say, like you've missed out on the Christmas social and all of that stuff. And like even just like popping to the pub for a drink together. Like we've done a few, as I say, we've been fortunate enough to actually fulfill our season. So we've done a few kind of pub trips like post game, but it's not the same as being like, oh, I'll just have one and then go home because I'm shattered from the game. Like, yeah, as you say, it's it's such a big kind of important part. And yeah, it's, it's so important to kind of, bond kind of away from the field I think isn't it yeah it makes such a big difference I think especially as I say when you know you do have a relatively new team or new players that have come in um that opportunity to get to know each other is you know is quite vital really to to how you get on on the pitch as well so I think you know even we've had a few games this last season however you want to refer to it now Hmm. um but it's been you know you finish the game final whistle goes you can't go in the changing room yeah so you quickly get changed at the side of the pitch or or don't or you know just go home in your kit or whatever you're going to do and you, you can't go to a pub because there's no pubs open you can't you know you can't do any of the you can't even go into the you know the bar at the club and have you know food and a drink like you'd normally do after a game yeah. so you do <clears throat> kind of miss those opportunities and then you turn up at training and training starts and training finishes and you'll go home so you never really get that that social aspect and I think yeah that that is really important for teams to to get together and have those opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. Cool. Okay. I think we've ticked off Whiteleaf there. Let's talk <laughs> Crawley Wasps and coaching. What kind of, when did you get into coaching? Kind of, yeah, what made you think, Carl, oh, I think I'm going to have a go at coaching? Uh, well, funnily enough, well, I say funnily enough, but fairly topically enough, it was um, because of Duke of Edinburgh Award. So that was back when I was about 17 doing that. And you had, as part of it, you had to do like a, a certain number of volunteering hours and you had to learn a new skill or get a new qualification or whatever it was so you know the obvious thing at the time for me was okay I'll go and do my level one coaching um and I'll you know do some volunteer hours coaching so that that kind of seemed the obvious path to tick those boxes really um so yeah so me and a teammate at the time did our level ones together um I then went and coached at the local leisure centre in like those after school clubs that I used to go to when I was like five or six years old. Yeah. Um, went and helped out there. Um, I say helped out. I probably stood there not doing very much at all to <laughs> what I was doing, but in my head I helped out. Um, and then I think I took the Rygate and Banstead girls team for the Surrey Youth Games or something that year as well. So I coached them for a bit and then had them at the tournament. Um, and that was kind of, yeah, my first kind of stepped into coaching really at 17 18 
then I went to uni, didn't do anything. Um, then after uni, I thought, okay, I want to get back into this again, so I'm going to do my level two. Mm-hmm. I did my level two when I was about 21, 22. Um, again, wasn't really doing any real coaching, just kind of at the time, to be honest, wanted the badge. Yeah. Um, with a you know with a view to doing it <coughs> at some point in the future. Um, so that was kind of that really, and then a, a few years after that. Um, I started coaching or helping out with um, some of the coaching at Crawley Wasps. Um, so the first team coach at the time, who was obviously my coach, he also worked with, I think they were like the under 11s or under 10s or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and their training session was immediately before mine was due to start. So basically I just got there an hour early, helped him out um, and did that for a few years, well, maybe a year or two. And then, um, yeah, kind of been with them ever since. So, um, yeah, so I've had an under 11s team then they're now under 14s and I've had them the whole way through um so they'll be they'll be going into under 16s next year um <clears throat> so but no I absolutely loved it did my UEFA B a couple of years ago um as well so yeah it's now definitely it's gone from kind of a thing that I just kind of wanted to tick a box or kind of get a badge for the sake of it and maybe at some point in the future I'll coach to now absolutely loving it um like thinking about coaching all the time, always reading stuff, always like planning sessions, always listening to podcasts or webinars or whatever. Um, no, I absolutely love it. So at some point, you know, I'd love to do my UA for eight at some point and, and take it a bit more seriously and, you know, maybe even move into it full time at some stage. Nice. Yeah. I really love that you've kind of had them since under 11s as well. And then they're now under 14s and obviously you're going to take them into under 16s. It must be so like fascinating and so kind of heartwarming, I guess, to kind of see the kind of growth of them. Yeah, in some ways, um, <laughs> you know, like taller than me, which is not okay. <laughs> They've gone from being sort of half my height to, yeah, literally now most of them are taller than me. Um, we actually had a session a few weeks ago and I split them into two groups um, and they were discussing things in their groups and I was talking to one of the one of the groups and the other group wanted something and they were turning around saying, oh, like, Hannah, where's Hannah? And I was literally standing like two metres away from them with the other group, but because I was like not taller than any of them I was wearing the same kit um they didn't even recognize me and I was like oh god that's embarrassing when (laughs) when they're now basically my height um or taller so um yeah that's a that's one thing I didn't really consider when I was when I started taking them was oh look they're so cute and they're so little and now suddenly not so much but no I love them they're great I've got a really good relationship with all of them and um yeah it's been it's been brilliant to watch them kind of grow as players and you know as people too um and you've kind of gone from them being under 11s and you kind of guide them through and things like that. And now they're kind of at the age where you can have a bit of a laugh and a bit of a chat with them. And it's, you know, it's a, a bit of a different dynamic, but um, yeah, in a really good way. So no, it's been, it's been great to, to see them kind of grow up really. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have a kind of coaching philosophy? I feel like that's quite like an intense word philosophy, but do you feel like you have a little kind of coaching philosophy? Yeah, I do. It's, changing. Um, it's always changing. So I think, it's one of those things that you kind of start with when they're on, you know, the girls are under 11 and you think, right, this is, this is the philosophy and this is what we're going to do. And it, it kind of has to grow as they grow um, really because their experiences change, their like needs and motivations and, and everything else change. So you kind of have to grow with it a little bit. Um, so, I mean, for me at the moment, well, it's, it's not about winning at all. It's, it's great when they win and they love it when they win and I love it when they win, but you know, it's they don't get anything out of it if they beat a team eight nil. Yeah. The same, you know, they're not going to get anything out of it if they lose eight nil. Um, 
it's got to be about their development. I think that's first what enjoyment and development are the, the two key things for me, really. And, you know, giving as, all of them as many different experiences as possible, challenging them as much as possible. My big things are around developing decision makers and leaders, really. Like, I don't want to be on the sidelines dictating to them, like, you know, like a PlayStation game because that's not going to do them any good going forwards, because what about when I'm not there? What about when they're at a different club? What about, um, you know, if they can't hear me on the other side of the pitch or whatever, they've, they've got to be able to make their own decisions. So that's something I'm I'm really big on with them and, and making sure they're kind of equipped and confident to do that. Um, and as I say, like, yeah, leadership as well, I think is a big one. Like, you know, they don't have to be the loudest on the team or anything like that. It doesn't have to be that kind of leadership, but to kind of find their own path and find their own way to be a leader and you know as, as many of them as possible I think that's really important not just for football outside of football as well and to give them that confidence and as I say those experiences that they can they're not all going to play football forever um you know probably very few of them really as we say about they're getting to that drop-off age now where mm. we probably will lose some of them um some of them might play socially for a few years some of them might you know go on to you know Brighton RTC trials or Chelsea RTC trials and you know they might develop from there but I think to be able to equip them to take those skills into school or into work or into whatever else they want to do, I think that's that's really important for me as well. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds a lot like you kind of recognise that you've got a real variety of them. I really like the thing you said about quiet leadership as well. I think we both listen to Jake Humphrey's High Performance Podcast, don't we? Yeah. yeah. I can't yeah. remember who they were talking about, but they were talking about someone who is a kind of a quiet leader on that and about how you don't have to be like the loudest in the room to be the one who's kind of leading. So I like that as well, because I think I don't... I. I am under like no like I am not a like in any position to be a leader in my club at all like, I'm very new to football still and stuff like that but yeah I, I'm not sure where I'd sit in terms of leadership in terms of that but I do like the idea that people are beginning to kind of recognize that actually you don't have to be the loudest in the room to still kind of have a presence about you and stuff like that so yeah it's really interesting that you've kind of noticed that and I think that's so important that you're kind of instilling that in them as well so yeah yeah really... I think there's all sorts of ways of being a leader as well so I mean you say like you're new to football but that doesn't stop you leading by example it doesn't stop you training the hardest or turning up on time or you know listening when the coach is speaking or you know whatever it is that, that those are all forms of leadership in, in my eyes anyway so I think as I say like I don't I've got a big mixed group of players like some of them are you know technically brilliant really uh, capable players some of them maybe not so much but you know that doesn't mean that they can't lead in certain ways by you know as I say running the hardest or you know asking sensible questions or you know whatever it is there's there's always ways that they can lead even if they're not you know the most knowledgeable in football or the most tactically or technically able in football um, they can set the example in all sorts of ways yeah definitely I like that idea definitely I might have to steal that for my wildcats I know they're only like five to eleven but you know uh, never, never be too young I think it's <laughs> the young better really to start instilling that yeah, absolutely. I think that's kind of really important in terms of if we kind of speak on a more sort of broader scale for women's football. I think we are, I think I've said this a million times, but we're, we are really tipping the balance in terms of kind of women's football. And it's just on such an upward trajectory, isn't it? That why why can't we be kind of producing kind of leaders and instilling this kind of idea of leadership and 
not even necessarily leadership actually because obviously you're always going to get people who who don't are not interested in leadership and they do just kind of want to play football but just knowing that they actually do have that opportunity and that chance and every right to kind of be there from as young as five and even younger with the the little kickers and everything like that like why not yeah definitely and it's that confidence as well I think making sure that they've got the confidence to do it and knowing that yeah they don't have to be the loudest they don't have to be the best player on the team to to take you know that that on and lead by example um as that can be anybody and that can be in any walk of life as well so they can take it away from football and say you know what I'm going to be a leader at something else that I do if I go to brownies or if I go to you know whatever else it is that I do outside of football Hmm. um you know perhaps I don't want to be the loudest on the football pitch but I can take those skills and it can serve me well in other areas yeah definitely so you mentioned you'd quite like... So you've done your UEFA B, haven't you? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you've mentioned you'd quite like to do your UEFA A. That's pretty exciting. I think actually I saw... So obviously like a lot of our um, internationals are like on international break at the moment as well. I, I'm pretty sure it is... So I'm a Reading fan. I'm pretty sure Lily Woodham did her UEFA B the other day, which kind of blew my mind slightly, actually. The fact that she's just on international duty and then she just popped and did her UEFA B for a couple of days. But I mean, why not? Why wouldn't you? Um, and I feel like probably, especially in kind of women's football, that kind of coaching is sort of the way to go, isn't it? Kind of, I feel like it's a for anybody who kind of wants to do something beyond playing. I feel think like coaching is probably the kind of most direct pathway for kind of women to get into other areas of football. Really, I don't know. What do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, it's a, obviously it's a good way to stay in it, and it's staying in in football in a really sort of close way because you're on the pitch, you're with players, you're in that environment day in day out or you know however frequently it is that you're coaching and everything else but whereas I suppose if you go into the media or this is obviously at the top level but if you go into you know being a pundit or being a commentator or being you know whatever it is then you've not got that direct involvement and I think from a when you've gone from being a player I suppose that's kind of what people are missing the most Mm. about that day-to-day involvement that being on the grass that being in the changing room having that you know, that atmosphere around you all the time. Um, I mean, certainly that's something that I'm, when I stop playing, that's what I'm going to miss the most from football. Um, so what, which is why coaching is like the obvious next step for me, really. Um, but yeah, I suppose from women, a women's football point of view as well, it's good to have those um, sort of role models, I think, going forwards because yeah. I've, I mean, I never found it a problem, to be honest, but I've always had male coaches. Yeah. If I had a female coach, briefly when I was at Chelsea and that was maybe for a few months otherwise I've always had male coaches which I've never looked at and thought oh that's a problem or why aren't there female coaches or oh I wish it was a female coach because I'd relate better to them like in to be you know perfectly honest I never thought that um but having said that I think it certainly is a good thing that if you know female coaches can be role models for these players and can show players you know this is what you can be this is what you can achieve you can have that relationship with them where perhaps you can talk about things that you wouldn't necessarily talk about with a male coach or um, you can kind of have that, you know, closer relationship and things like that. Then I think it's great to have female coaches around a club, even if, you know, not every female coach or or, sorry, not every coach in a club is female. I think it's important that there is a female coach, at least within a, within every club to make sure that girls have got that person to talk to or that role model or, or whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to throw it in here because I feel like I say it every single um, episode, but see it to believe it. Got to yeah, see it to exactly believe it. That. So yeah. that's it. Exactly that. 
Yeah. So especially, yeah, like you, like you say, like, and also if you kind of have got aspirations to coach in the future as well, then being able to actually kind of be visibly there in front of you, then yeah, so there there is that role model instantly there for you. So you mentioned that you wanted to do your UA for A. I feel like there's, I think it's, there's a bit of a mad statistic. I feel like it's something like there's only like 1,000 women who have actually got a UA for it. No, no, that's a pro licence. That's um, in, I feel like it's still a small number though. There's still no, not that many. I don't think it's even that much. I don't, honestly don't think it's even that much. Um, I think somebody I know who, who I used to play with, she's done her UA for A and I'm sure she's within the first 100 females or something to get their UA for A and she got it maybe like a year ago. Um, and I'm sure I'm sure she was like within the first 100. So there's really, yeah, really not very many at all at the moment. I think that will change. That will definitely change. I think there's a lot of female UA for B coaches now. So obviously that, you know, that stepping stone is kind of there to progress. Um, it's just kind of having the opportunity. And the difficult thing I think is like, you know, to do the UA for A, realistically, A, you need to be coaching at, a, you know, a good level Yeah. Uh, in the first instance. And secondly, you kind of need to know that you're going to get maybe like a job at the end of it because there's so much money that goes into doing the UA for A and yeah. so much time investment into it that to just do it for the sake of doing it or because you want to support the, the grassroots club that you coach for an hour a week isn't really feasible. Um, and obviously the jobs in professional football um, are limited and many of them are taken by men. Yeah. So, you know, for a, for a female coach to kind of be able to take the away for a and know that it's going to serve them well in terms of a full-time role um, is probably quite difficult at the moment. But hopefully that's starting to change. I mean, even in the last week, we've seen um, Nicole um, get taken on at West Ham um into their academy and um Manisha at QPR as well so hopefully those those jobs and that progression progression is starting to to come through now and um opening doors in the future and you know hopefully that will then lead to more females being willing and able to to go forward with the UA4A and then the the pro license beyond that as well yeah absolutely um I think as well so Bristol we've just announced I can't remember she used to, she was at Spurs I can't this is really bad I should probably know this yeah, but yeah um, so Lauren, wasn't it? Lauren, can't remember Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so she's kind of taken over from Matt Beard, who was on maternity duty for Tanya Oxby. So yeah, that's yeah. exciting. It's just another kind of kind of female in kind of the top kind of league because it's kind of fifty fifty split the WSL, which is I I think that's interesting as well. So yeah, I don't know. Fingers crossed, we'll see more more people doing kind of coaching. Do you think yourself that you would like to kind of be in a position to be maybe coaching in the WSL in the future? <laughs> I think maybe one step at a time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably what's under fourteens to um, taking over from Emma Hayes is probably a bit of a leap. But um, no, I'd love to. I'd love to see where I can go with my coaching. Hopefully, um, I think I said it in, in something I did the other day. But hopefully, I've started kind of young enough in my coaching journey that you know, I've got quite a few years in front of me to keep developing and keep learning and, you know, hopefully do the UA4A at some point, as I said, and be able to have those opportunities to, you know, maybe do more from a coaching perspective than I've been able to do as a player. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd love to be able to kind of go as far as I can with coaching. And, you know, I haven't really settled on whether I want to coach males or females yet or what age group I want to coach. Um, you know, in my head, I want to coach senior players. Um, but, I love coaching my under 14, so you know I don't really know where where I want to take it um, that specifically going forward. And 
I've never coached boys or men before. So <clears throat> that's probably an experience I'd like to have at some point just to kind of broaden my horizons a bit and mm-hmm. you know, get that experience, get that knowledge. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, certainly I'd like to see how, how far I can go with my coaching. But for the moment, playing kind of remains my priority. Um, it's really difficult to juggle the two when you want to do more in coaching, but you know, you know, Tuesday nights and Thursday nights, I'm training, so forget those. Yeah. Sundays I'm playing, so forget that. Um, you know, I'm in a really lucky position at Crawley where um, I've got a great, you know, couple of people that I coach with um, in my team and, you know, they're happy for, you know, me to be there as much as I can. But if I can't turn up, then I know the girls are in good hands and they can, you know, they'll have a session and um, they're looked after on match days. And again, I'll get to matches as often as I can, but I know that's not every week. Um so I'm in a really fortunate position at Crawley um, where I can kind of have that flexibility. Um, but, you know, that's that's not going to be the case everywhere I go. So I kind of have to, you know, bide my time a little bit with the coaching and, and just see out the playing. And, you know, I don't know how much longer I want to play for. In my head, I can play forever, but mm-hmm. body probably will say otherwise in a couple of years' time. Um, so, yeah, maybe then that's when I'll look at maybe the transition into taking over. Coaching takes over a bit more of my time than, than playing does, but... Um, yes, yeah, so that's probably just one for the for the future, really. Nice. Possibilities are endless. Fingers crossed. <laughs> okay, cool. So we've talked briefly about lockdown at the beginning. So let's go back to lockdown and the fact that you decided to start women's soccer coaching. And you are the editor of the magazine. Yeah. That's very exciting. Tell me more about that. Okay. Well, um, yeah. So my degree from Bournemouth is actually in journalism. So I have a journalism background. Nice. Um, I've worked in journalism slash PR for like 10 years now. Um, so, it, you know, that is my background. Um, it just happens to be that back in October time, I think, um, I was approached on LinkedIn by a random message from this guy saying, do you want to set up a, or do you want to edit a, a magazine about women's soccer coaching? And I was like, yes, that sounds <laughs> great. Like combining two things that, you know, I love doing. So yeah. that sounds perfect. Um, and no, it turns out so he is the he was the managing director of a company that owns uh, Soccer Coach Weekly, which people might be a bit more familiar with, um, and a few other titles as well, like Elite Soccer, um, Rugby Coach Weekly, and yeah, a few others as well. So he was looking at setting up women's soccer coaching and women's rugby coaching at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously, sort of trawled LinkedIn and was looking for people that were like a writer or a journalist and a, a coach as well and female. Mm-hmm. So, you know, quite a niche group, which probably <laughs> maybe I was the only person that fell into that group. I have absolutely no idea. Yeah. But um, anyway, so, yeah, so, you know, he approached me and I was really keen to do it. Um, so, yeah, so kind of been doing that since October. So our first issue came out in December. Um, we're now working towards issue eight, I think it is, which I can't believe where the time's gone. It's crazy. <laughs> uh, but no, I've, I've absolutely loved it so far. It's been it's been great um, having the opportunity to kind of network with coaches um, I've learned loads as well um, from, you know, different coaches submitting articles that, you know, have been great and have been really informative and interesting. And we kind of have a mixture of session plans and like tips and ideas and feature uh, interviews with coaches. We've had people like Dawn Scott from the FA. Um, we did a big piece about uh, the menstrual cycle in our third issue, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and she'd kind of driven that with uh, the US women's national team and is now back working with the FA and doing the same thing. Um, so that was really interesting. And we've spoken to people um, like Amanda Cromwell, who's a, a big coach in, in America. So she's with UCLA. 
uh, James Clarkson, who's um, Houston Dash's head coach in the NWSL, people like that. Um, just done a great piece with a, a coach called Amy Griffin, who is uh, with OL Reign in America, and she's also the, the head coach of the US Women's National Deaf Team. Nice. So we did a her around communication and the importance of communication and how she's able to communicate with these players on the deaf team who've all got different needs. Some of them are, you know, do sign language. Some of them can like read lips. Some of them basically do charades to get their message across and stuff like that. So, um, and then obviously she's working at OL Rain as well. So with, you know, hearing players and, and things like that. So that, you know, distinction between the two and how she copes with it as a coach, uh, yeah, really, really fascinating. I really enjoyed that one. Mm. Um, so yes, yeah, so we've got great stuff like that. And as I say, just sort of any coach from, you know, grassroots level one through to, say, like Super League or NWSL um, that contribute to it. So it kind of, we kind of hit all bases and kind of try and support um, female coaches and, you know, all coaches working in the female game really is our kind of remit. Yeah, fascinating stuff. It looks like it's been really successful and I'm very excited to write my own post for it as well. Look <laughs> <Not> for that. <laughs> <laughs> Which is interesting, actually. I haven't read that article that you mentioned about the oil rain um, kind of death thing. I haven't read that, so I'm definitely going to have a little look at that. I'm trying to scale that down to Wildcats level. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of good takeaways from it. So even, even down to Wildcats, just the importance of communication and kind of getting your message across and being inclusive to people and and things like that it was yeah really really good piece and um we've got a podcast on it as well so yeah if you don't want to sit there and read an article you can listen to her speak and she's great so nice i love that yeah sounds brilliant sounds really successful as well and yeah i guess kind of as you say it's like a real nice mix of the kind of two of your worlds like meeting together kind of i guess that's what my this podcast is for me as well kind of i like listening to podcasts i spend so much of my life listening to podcasts i actually need some extra hours in the day just to listen to podcasts like so, honestly there's so many podcasts and just yeah not anywhere near enough time i've downloaded so many that have been sitting on my phone for like months and i just can't get to them because every time i go to listen to one i'm like oh i'll download that one well, it just yeah gets out of hand but yeah absolutely um can you let us in on any of the kind of future so i know you kind of tagged a few a couple of people in kind of a tweet the other day about it kind of a little sneaky peek of stuff like that so what have you kind of got coming up yeah so coming up in july we've got a couple of really good pieces with um so there's a, a coach in america called erica Suter, who you'll find i think she's um soccer queen on or fit soccer queen on twitter mm. um, but she's great so she works with um female athletes from a sort of fitness, um, physical perspective, um, you know, we all sort of know about the link between female athletes and ACL injuries and, and things like that. So mm-hmm. she kind of works around those areas and preventative measures and, and kind of building up female strength and, you know, agility and, and speed and everything else. Um, so we've got a really good piece from her coming up. Um, another uh, American coach, Shay Haddo. Um, she does a, a podcast called, um, I think it's like Alpha Confidence Podcast. Um, if you want another one to add to your list, <laughs> Always. Um, they're very short, they're only sort of seven or eight minutes each, so they're great. Nice. Um, mm. But um, yeah, so she does the whole thing around developing female athletes' confidence. Um, specifically, I think she's written a book as well, so she's done a piece um, around that. Which again, I think, again for for female athletes, I think well for any athlete, but for females there's such a confidence issue, not just around football or sport, but just 
generally in life I think there's yeah. there's a confidence thing for a lot of, like teenage girls especially mm. um so that's a really interesting piece that we've got coming up um God, we've got all sorts, yeah. Um, I can't really say I've written that massive list of people that I tagged in and I now can't remember any of them other than those two. But um, yeah, as I say, we'll have some more stuff coming up. So we normally have like a Wildcats coaching session in each um, each issue. Then we'll have more like a three-part session plan aimed at kind of older players um, <coughs> as well. So we'll have all of those and our sort of main interviewee who I can't reveal for next month because I don't know who it is yet. But <laughs> we will uh, that nail down soon. Um and then yeah so as I say just kind of a lot we've got to put our piece around philosophy or developing your coaching philosophy and you know as we spoke about earlier um we've got that coming up I think September we're going to have quite a big focus on um coaching as a, a mother and how clubs can help support mums and what's yeah what support they can give and and that kind of thing so we've got a few pieces on that that's um kind of inspired by um united soccer coaches in america they've got a a group called mums who coach like an advocacy kind of group yeah um and i was on a, a webinar with them a few months ago um that was really insightful and really interesting around that that space because that's not something i have um any knowledge of at the moment yeah so that would be interesting so i thought oh you know actually there's loads to talk about in terms of how mums can be supported in coaching and and what they can do and uh, what clubs can do and things like that so yeah we'll have a few pieces on that in september um but yeah watch your space i think nice that sounds super exciting this is you're wearing so many hats i love it it's really great no it's just There's a lot of hats. yeah absolutely <laughs> it's just, no it's just brilliant as well that you're kind of giving a voice to kind of so many people with kind of yeah just just with this publication absolutely um yeah really really enjoying kind of dipping in here and there to reading things but yeah i'm definitely gonna Gonna have to just read cover to cover at some point. <laughs> I'm just gonna have to take a day off work or something just to kind of listen to podcasts and just catch up on all the publications that I've not read yet. <laughs> well, we're about I think we're about twenty pages long generally, so yeah, you need a, need a little bit of time to sit down and have a read. But we have a few different articles, sort of ranging from one pages to three pages, so you can kind of dip in and out depending yeah. on what time you've got. So I'll I'll let you off. <laughs> nice, cool. Right, we are going to go to quickfire questions now. This is the part where you get to kind of bait out your teammates a little bit. But you can also veto some questions if you like. There's one particular question that normally gets vetoed, to be honest. Uh, But we'll see. Sometimes you might just want to, yeah, just reveal all. Um, So, who is always late? Uh, yes, yeah, so that'll be Susie Davis, 100%. Um, I reckon she's going to be my answer for most of these, actually. So um, I've played with Susie for years. Um, we were at Wasps together, now we're at Wiley's together. And yeah, she is late for absolutely everything all the time. <laughs> nice. And then has to go to the toilet as well before we leave. So she'll be late and then needs to go to the Nice, yeah. I think there's definitely a few people like that at our team as well. So yeah, I think there's probably one particular person at every team that's always like, oh, where's the toilet? I need a wee. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's like a nervous wee thing. <laughs> Um, oh yeah she'll be like oh how long because i need to need to know when to go should i go yet (laughs) yeah absolutely uh who's turning up at the wrong venue or forgetting their kit oh that's Kay. yeah Kay weber so again was at crawley was with her now again she's at white leave um yeah she turned up without her kit a couple of times last season new to the team only joined last summer um yeah managed to probably forget her kit three or four times in the six or seven matches that we had or forget parts of her kit or all of her kit or something like that um 
and then we also had a I had a teammate at Crawley Wasps, Aston, who um, turned up. It was when the clocks went back. Yeah. Luckily, not the other. She ended up turning up an hour early and just sat in the car park for an hour, nice. um, not realizing that the clocks had changed. And it was also, I'm pretty sure, it was also Aston who brought two left boots to a game. So she, for some reason, she had two pairs of the same like the same boots yeah. twice. Don't really know what she did and managed to pick up like the two left ones or the two right ones for a game. That's hilarious. I love that she has a pair of the same shoes. I, I Although I'm, I'm laughing, I feel like that would definitely be something I'd do. Like, I I've, I think I've mentioned it before as well on this podcast. I'm always the one who will message in the morning like, yeah, I can't find my socks or I can't find my shorts. But nobody ever replies to me because they know in like 10, 15 minutes that I am going to reply and be like, I found them, it's fine, don't worry about it. But yeah, so, yeah, so they're, yeah, they're just used to it by now. <laughs> Um, they were still in the watch, so I might have to turn up the sweaty kit. Still in the watch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, who is scoring your winning goal? <sighs> Definitely not me. I know that much. <laughs> um, God, that's a good question. That's actually a difficult one. We weren't the most prolific in front of goal last season, if I'm honest. So mm. picking out one person is tricky. Um, maybe Megan. Yeah, Megan Smith. So she's a winger, um, but she just always seems to be in the right place at the right time. Um, she won't probably won't mind me saying this. She'll never score a worldie, um, but she'll always be in, be there for the tappings, nice. right place at the right time. Yeah, yeah, every time. So yeah, I'll go go with Megan for that one. Do you know what? I've got a Megan in my team who's exactly like that. She's just that, like yeah. Well, yeah, I think she, yeah, I think she's got a hat trick on her on her debut game, and yeah, it's all just all a couple of cheeky tappings. She just looks so cool on the ball. It must be something about Megan's. <laughs> uh, equally, who's missing it? So who's missing oh, that winning me. goal? <laughs> it's yeah, fine. You're a defender. You're allowed to say that. I'm never going to be in the position to do it. So yeah, it probably won't be me because I'm never going to be high, high enough off the pitch for that to be a problem. But um, if I am, then it's me. I once, uh, years and years ago, managed to, this is when I was playing in midfield, took the ball forward, beat like two players, beat, took it round the goalkeeper, empty goal, hit the post. So that's that's pretty much um, my goal scoring record. Mm. I haven't actually yet scored from Whiteleaf either. So in... Well, I say in three years, in three interrupted years. So that's, that's why I'm that. claiming Blame I haven't scored yet. <laughs> if, I had, if I'd had four seasons, I would have scored goals. But um, yeah, maybe I'll go for a more realistic player. I'll go Kelly. She won't mind me saying that. <laughs> Kelly Poynton. She'll, she can score worldies in training all day long. Scores 40-odd free kicks, top top corner every time in a game. Nah, that's We've got a railway line behind the behind one of the goals. And she's probably stuck quite a few balls on that railway line <laughs> in the last year or so. Nice. Uh, who's the most competitive? Yeah, I'm gonna have to go with me for that one. <laughs> oh no, sir. I'm gonna actually know. I'm gonna go for Susie again. <clears throat> I'm gonna go for Susie again. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, there's a few of us. To be fair, there, there are a few. Guess training can get quite competitive. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, no, I'll go with you for that one again. Nice. Who waits till match day to turn on the heat? So they're pretty like cool and like cute, like a bit cucumber, like maybe even a little bit like lazy, possibly like during training. And then match day comes and they're just like fire. God, that's a difficult one. Um, <laughs> you can veto questions if you're not sure. I, yeah, that is a difficult one. Can probably think of a few people that are the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably me, to be fair, actually. Take that back. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely taking that straight back. Um, No, Joe, I was going to go with our 
I'm going to go with Scotty. Um, Scotty is, yeah, quality on a match day. Training will let things in and get really frustrated and like be shouting and all the rest of it. But match day, yeah, not a lot, not a lot gets in that the back of that net. So yeah, let's go with Scotty. Nice. Uh, who's the biggest joker? Who's the kind of team prankster? That's another difficult one. Um, Liv's got to be up there. Let's go with Liv. Nice. (laughs) Yeah, I'll go. I'll go. I'll go with Liv for that one. Yeah, Um, that's that's a tricky one. I can't. Difficult off the top of my head. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I'll go with Liv. And the last one. Who's the team hype woman? It can be the whole team. To be fair, I feel like everyone's kind of pretty. G, but is there someone in particular who's really like gets everybody going? Yeah, I'll go go with Chloe for that one. So Chloe is one of our centre midfielders. She'll yeah, she'll be on the music and the speakers and and the rest of it. So yeah, I reckon let's go with Chloe for that one. Nice, I like it. Cool, you have survived the quick fire questions and you didn't veto a question, so good effort. <laughs> I don't feel like they were very quick, I feel like my answers were quite long. <laughs> no, that's okay, we like a little explanation, it's all good, it's all good. Um, <laughs> is there anything else you kind of want to add about the team? Are you guys recruiting at the moment? Like, where can we find Whiteleaf on social media? Where can yeah. we find you and, like, women's soccer coaching on social media? Yeah, 100% <clears throat> always recruiting. So as I say, we're still training at the moment. So if anyone wants to come down and just check us out, we normally train on a on a Wednesday night, um, 8 o'clock at the club, at the ground. Um, and then we're kind of doing the occasional Sunday session at the moment as well. But that's I think that's fitness, so you might want to give that a swerve. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's so always recruiting. Um, come down and check us out. As I say, we've got um, Fred, our head coach. He's doing his UA4A at the moment. Um, both he and our manager are doing master's um, degrees in performance coaching. Nice. A couple of other, other coaches are doing these soon. So, you know, we've got a really good standard of coaching at the club. Mm. Um, so things are starting to grow with the, the reserves and the 18s. So, um, you know, even if you're not thinking about first team football or senior football, we've got those options as well. Um, again, with great coaches and, and, you know, the girls that have come down will seem great. So that's that's really positive. Um, so yeah, so come down and check us out. I think we're White Leaf Women on Twitter and Instagram, I believe. Um, but you'll find us pretty easily. And uh, yeah, if you want to check out Women's Soccer Coaching, we are at Soccer Coaching on Twitter. Um, you can subscribe as well. We've got a sort of launch offer at the moment of £30 or $30 for a whole 12 months of content. Um, so that's all of our monthly magazines. We say like 20 pages of content every month. We do a podcast. We've got newsletters stuff's going up on the website and all that kind of thing as well also if you subscribe now you can get all the past issues as well so you won't miss out on the stuff i've spoken about with amy griffin and and all the others um you can still check that out because you'll get those as part of the subscription package um don't know how much longer that deal is going to last for snap it up while you can Mm. that's my sales pitch done and (laughs) yeah uh on twitter i am at hannah underscore duncan 89 always forget that one but yes i think i'm pretty bad it I forget my own Twitter handle all the time too. So yeah, I'm not judging you on that one at all. Cool. Thank you so much, Hannah. This has been really great. I've really enjoyed talking to you. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me on. It's been great. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Thank you. And thank you to you, the listener, for tuning in to episode nine of the latest series in this Selk podcast production. 
Expect to hear many more interviews from those involved in the women's grassroots game, as well as news, history and everything else in between. And remember, it's okay not to be okay. So if you ever want to reach out, I'm always happy to chat football or anything else for that matter. Feel free to get in touch with me on social media. Stay safe out there, wear a mask, wash your hands, follow the guidelines and catch you all soon for episode 10. I've been your host, Abby, and you've been listening to Match Fix. This week's Selk podcast was brought to you by Down to Play, the simple app for next game availability.